So um, you ever have uh, some of those life skills that you, you think uh, these are not things that are practiced very often, but if I knew it at, at the time that I needed it, it would be perfect timing? One of those things for me is knowing how to tie a knot. I mean, there's so many times where, like I've gone fishing or I've gone camping and I've learned how to tie a knot for that, but I don't do it regularly enough to remember all the, all the times that when I need a knot for a specific reason. And some of you have, any Boy Scouts or Eagle Scouts or anything like that, those of you that tie knots regularly, climbers or anything like that, fishermen? And the, all right, second serve. Oh, some of you, all right, fishermen. So if you, you guys know like how to tie knots for specific reasons, for specific purposes. And it's a useful skill, but I just don't remember it because I don't use it uh, long enough. Uh, so this morning, I'm, I, I learned a knot, and I want to show it to you. I want to teach it to you because it might help you at some point in your life. Now, uh, actually, this knot will actually help you get started learning how to tie your shoes. So if you're like me and just learn how to do that because you can't keep up with knots, then uh, th this will help you out in your life. This is the first knot that a Boy Scout learns. All right, so if some of you like went through Cub Scouts, or it's called a square knot. Uh, there are other versions of it, but I'm going to teach you one of those. All right, are, are you guys excited about this? If you want to take your shoes off and uh, get, get, yeah, take your, uh, take your shoelace or something like that and practice along with me. Just be careful because if you tie, you might not be able to get your shoelaces apart. All right, so I'm going to, I'm going to, I got pictures uh, for you up on the screen. So Dan's going to scroll through those as we go. So uh, the rope in my right hand, this is, this is going to be uh, like the red rope that's in the picture. So what you want to do is, and square knot's pretty good for joining two ropes together. Like if you need a longer rope, but you only have rope this, this like two pieces, but you need them both together, this would help you out in doing this. All right, so you take, you take the red rope, the rope in my right hand, and you make sure it's on top of the blue rope. All right, then you thread it around behind it so they come together like this. And then again, you want to take the red rope and make sure it's on top of the blue rope and then thread it underneath and through, and then you pull it tight together. Now, if you did this correctly, you're going to have a square knot, a square knot, and when I start to pull the ends of this rope, it will not come apart which is what I'm really hoping happens. Because if you do it incorrectly, you tie what's called a granny knot, and it'll come apart immediately. Which I don't, I, like I find that offensive, because my granny was a strong woman, and she didn't come apart for any reason. So I don't know why that is. But if I pull this rope, not that I'm very strong. Like some of you could probably come up here and like pull it apart and break it. But if I pull these ropes together, this really hurts my hands doing that. They're not going to come apart. They stay uh, pretty strong. And th the reason why this is so important is uh, you never know when you need to tie something or someone up. <laughs> I, not that as a, as a parent with three kids I've ever considered tying, you know, one of my kids up or anything like that. I've never done that before. Maybe, I don't know, maybe you have handcuffs laying around in your house for that reason. You know, somebody breaks in, you hit them over the head with a baseball bat. You got to tie them up. Like you've seen the movies, you know you can't just leave them there because they're going to give it. You, you got to tie them up. So it's important to know stuff like this for practical reasons in your life. Um, Jesus, uh, I, I don't know if you know this, but uh, there was a time in Jesus' life, probably a couple times where Jesus' family uh, thought that they were going to need to tie him up. Uh, one of the parables, or the parables that we're talking about this morning, come on the heels of Jesus' family thinking, I mean, Jesus has lost it. He's gone crazy. We got to go get him. He's in trouble. We got to take him back. We got to take him by force and get him out of here because things are going crazy in his life. And so we're going to be looking in Mark chapter 3, starting at verse 20 this morning. And here's the scenario that Jesus is in. Mark chapter 3, verse 20. Jesus enters a house, and again a crowd gathered. 
so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. Jesus' family thought he was crazy. Now, if you look a little bit further ahead in Mark chapter 3 at the beginning, you'll see why. Jesus was going around. He was healing people. He was performing exorcisms. People who were demon-possessed that were coming to Jesus, he was saying, hey, get, get out of that person. They were leaving. There was something uh, undescribable about who Jesus was and what he was doing, and people just couldn't get enough of it. They were crowding around him so much that he couldn't eat. Now, when his family's hearing this, they, you know, we're talking about brothers and we're talking about sisters that, that have grown up around Jesus. Can you imagine being Jesus' sibling? Like, I don't know how that would work. He's like, Mom, Jesus is showing off again. He's walking on water. Like, I I don't think he did stuff like that. I, I don't think he did stuff like that. But, you know, uh, Jesus just turned his water into wine again. You know, like I don't think he did stuff that, like that as a kid. But um, familiarity breeds contempt, right? I, I mean, I think there were probably some, uh, you know, relationship there that they were hearing about these things happening off in the distance. You know, they weren't there. They weren't observing it. And they were like, man, Jesus, Jesus is going to get himself killed. He's going to get other people killed. He's stirring up all these people. See, the religious leaders of the day, Jesus is going around healing people. He's, he's getting rid of demons, and they see this, and they immediately start to plot how they might kill him. In Mark chapter 3, you read through that. That's, that's their idea. They're thinking, this guy is going to be trouble because people are starting to follow him. We're going to start losing control of our lives. We're going to start losing control of the power that we have. And so Jesus is there. He's in this house. He's crowding around. His, his family is on his way to come get him because they think his, he's crazy. But also religious leaders are plotting how to kill him. They say, man, this might be the perfect opportunity for us to trap Jesus and all the things that he's been doing. So they come up in verse 22. They come to this house. They come down from Jerusalem, the religious leaders and teachers of the law, and they say this about Jesus. They say, he is possessed by Beelzebul, by the prince of demons. He is driving out demons. A couple things that are important to note here. One is they're not trying to contradict the fact that Jesus is performing miracles. I mean, it's readily observable to them. So they can't just say, hey, this isn't happening. You guys are just making up. They're seeing the results of this. They've watched it happen themselves. And the only thing that they can think to do to try to get rid of Jesus is say, you know what? The way that Jesus is doing these things in his life are evil. In fact, that he's getting his power from Satan, that's how he's able to get rid of his demons. They use Beelzebul because, just kind of interesting historical stuff, Beelzebul was the name of uh, uh, Philistines and Canaanites were pagans, so they believed in a lot of different gods. But Beelzebul was kind of the top, top dog, so Lord of the temple, Lord of the house was Beelzebul's name. And it's interesting, you look in the Old Testament, they actually... Uh, misspell his name on purpose sometimes. And you're, uh, depending on what Bible you're reading, translation, they might in this passage translate his name as Beelzebub. And the reason they do that is because that means Lord of the Flies. And so they're saying, you know, Lord of nothing, like death and destruction, like the, nothing, he has no power, he's impotent. And so they say, say that about him. And what they're claiming is, is that the only way that Jesus can do these miraculous things or get rid of demons from people, well, you must be using the power of Satan to be able to do this. This is their claim, is to try to call what Jesus is doing, the good that Jesus is doing, evil. You know, Jesus is going around and he's performing supernatural, supernatural acts. There are obvious changes among people. Others, too many there were too many witnesses. They were confirming the, the life change that people were experiencing. So the only thing that they could do is not discredit those stories, but discredit the source of Jesus' power. People recognized that Jesus was able to heal people. He was able to turn water into wine. 
He was able to drive out demons. And the religious leaders of the day's reaction was, hmm, could it be Satan? I'll work on the timing for that one. So Jesus' reaction, just remember this. Next time somebody comes up to you and says you're the spawn of Satan, just remember Jesus' reaction here. Jesus says, you know what? You know, why don't you come over here and let's talk about it. So verse 23 of chapter 3, Jesus calls these religious leaders, these teachers of the law over to him and began to speak to them in parables. He says, how can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. So one of the things that Jesus could have done when he was talking to these religious leaders, uh, he could have said, are you guys, are you guys like a special kind of dumb here? Like, uh, have you really even thought about this very well? So, so he uses this analogy to kind of bring about a spiritual truth about how things work when it comes to, not, well, not just our spiritual lives, but just our, our regular lives as well. Is that Nobody operates this way. Nobody intentionally goes in about self-sabotaging themselves to achieve their ends. And so his point here is not like, how can Satan drive out Satan? He's not talking about the ability of Satan to do that, but he says, nobody operates this way. Satan is not going to use his power to thwart himself to try to, like, he's, he's not quite that deceiving. Like, that. nobody does that because it would destroy the work that he's trying to perform in his life. Satan doesn't drive out Satan. A kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. That's not how the world works. He said, you know, part of what's going on here is, is he, he's, he's not, not just talking about how the world works, but he's also kind of pointing something out about the religious leaders. He said, your, your thinking, your way of looking at life is so twisted is you're not even able to recognize the power of God when it's in front of your face. He said, your, your view is so twisted, your hearts and your minds, your house is so divided internally between you claiming to follow God and wanting what he wants, but not able to recognize the results of what serving God and living out his ways in your life looks like, that, that you're kind of you're the divided house here that's not going to stand, that's going to fall. So here's what he says, Satan... Satan, Jesus' point is Satan wouldn't let his power be used to undermine his own work. And so he goes on to say in verse 27, In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They're guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying he has an impure spirit. What Jesus says is, here's what's going on. The, the reason that I'm healing people, the reason that people are being exercised of their demons is, is to show and to prove that only God's power can accomplish this kind of thing. That, that the results of God's ways are readily observable when we see the good results of, of what they accomplish in this life. That, that it's not Satan's power, like he's not the most powerful one here. When Jesus is talking about the strong man being tied up in his house, he's talking about Satan being tied up by, by Jesus, but what, by what God has done through his son. That things are different now. That what Satan wants to be able to control and how he wants to be able to divide our lives and our houses and our hearts. I mean, Jesus has taken care of that. Things, things are different, and when we call good evil and we call evil good, man, that's, that's when we start 
That's when we start to get in trouble when it comes to identifying what God is doing through his spirit. Here's what I mean by that. Like sometimes as, as Christians, um, I've, I've had a number of different conversations where they read this passage and they're, like, and, and they're thinking through, hey, wh- like what is this unforgivable eternal sin against the Holy Spirit? Because I want to make sure I don't do that one. Like if, of all the things on the, and I agree, like that's probably an important one. The only sin that's not, not forgivable, like let's try to avoid that one. And so here, one of the things I'll say is this. If you're concerned about that sin, you're, like you haven't, you haven't done it. Because, because what Jesus is pointing out here is, is that you are so far gone. Religious leaders, religious, you know, teachers, teachers of law, you, you're, you're so twisted in your view of who God is that you are willfully denying his results in life. It, you, you can't even recognize who he is because of the decisions that you've made in your life, because of how your hearts are divided. See, Jesus allows us to have an undivided, holy unity with God that is sustained by the Holy Spirit. And the proof is in the result of his work in getting rid of and casting out evil in our lives. And those religious leaders, those, those people were looking at that and, and denying that Jesus was doing, was doing good. Make no mistake, there, there's a battle for our lives where Satan wants us to be divided. He's been bound by Jesus, but he's still like a roaring lion seeking who he may, may devour so that he can divide us and keep us separated from who God wants us to be. And it, it manifests itself a lot of times in innocent ways, matters of the heart, matters of what's convenient, you know, things that we feel like, well, maybe I, I know the Bible says this, but maybe it's not quite as important as, as what it's made out uh, to be here. He, he's sneaky and he's deceptive and he seeks to chip away at us a little bit by a little bit by causing us to see some things as important and some things not when it comes to God's word. But the spiritual truth that's represented here in the parables of the divided house and the bound up strong man is this. Divided hearts... Our divided hearts always result in unraveled lives. When, when our lives are not built on a consistent foundation of God's word and his God's truth across the board, not where we get to pick things here and leave things here to the side, like that, that's the difference between living a divided life and one that's fully committed on one side to Jesus Christ. And that's what helps to hold things together. Jesus, Jesus has bound Satan, but the question is, are, are we loosening the knots in our life? Like, are we, are we leaving him bound? The first spiritual truth in this whole divided hearts result un, in unraveled lives is, is in the divided hearts, godly ways man itself, it manifests itself in godly results. And if you want to know whether or not you have a divided heart in your life, you go through the checklist and your lifestyle choices with the truth of Scripture. You start asking, hey, what, what is my purpose? Like, what 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 has God given me and how to live out my life? Am I, am I doing that? Am I living that out? Who, who do I have relationships with? Like who am I dating? Who am I with? Is it somebody who's God-honoring? Is it somebody that God wants me to be equally yoked with? Why you come to church and serve and give? Like, are you divided in your heart in the purpose behind that? Like, do you come to church and you're kind of like, oh, I guess I have to. Or is, it, or is it because, man, God has saved me through Jesus. He's bound up the strong man, and so I get to come and celebrate in that. How about what you look at, what you say, how you react in your life? Do you choose what's convenient over what's right? 
where do you find your morality and your ethics? Asking all, uh, in all of those areas in your life, man, ha- like what, what have I tied myself to? Have I tied myself to what God has called me and how he's called me to live out this area in my life? Or, or am I just kind of going along with whatever, you know, I want to do or whatever the culture seems to say or however I've kind of been raised in this way to do it or I'm following what God wants me to do? Chances are that if you shrug off the Bible's explanations for practical living, you'll, you'll find yourself in constant conflict for your compromise. Here, here's the second thing about an unraveled life is it, to remember is that the second thing that Jesus is, is sharing is that Satan has been bound by him. And so, like I said earlier, like don't, don't untie the knots. Don't loosen them in your life. We're equipped to fight against the schemes of Satan. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 17, Paul writes this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. One of the things I think we make a a mistake on when it comes to our divided lives is so often we think we need to make other people the enemy. When when it was not not so much other people, but but it's it's the evil that, that is in our lives because of sin. Therefore, Paul says, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. The day of evil is coming. There's a scheme of the devil in our lives that's trying to bring us down, to to make us divided so that we will falter. But we can stand our ground. And after we have done everything, we can stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So it causes us to think through this, these ideas of divided hearts and unraveled lives. Like if we see that happening in our life, we've got we've to ask ourselves, okay, are we equipping? Are we equipping ourselves to withstand these schemes? How good are we at tying knots? And binding the, the evil that's in our life that seeks to, to destroy us. Like, are we leaving the things that should be in the past and destroyed and gone because of our salvation in Jesus? That our sins have been washed away? Or are we inviting, you know, are we inviting those things back in, back in? When our house is divided by our sin, we miss the mark and how life should be lived. Even... Um, Here's one of, the thing, one of the things that I think is pretty in- interesting from a historical standpoint. Even if you had never heard about the divided house parable from Jesus, you've heard it quoted before. Abraham Lincoln gave a speech in his run for senator against Stephen Douglas, and he uses this phrase. And I, I just want to read a, a small quote from, from that uh, campaign. He says, A house divided against itself cannot stand. I believe this government cannot endure permanently half slave and half free. I do not expect the union to be dissolved. I do not expect the house to fall, but I do expect it will cease to be divided. It will become all one thing or all the other. Either the opponents of slavery will arrest the further spread of it and place it where the public mind shall rest in the belief that it is in the course of ultimate extinction, or its advocates will push it forward till it shall become lawful in all the states, old as well as new, north as well as south. See, even, even if there's one 
area of division in our life, one area of compromise that we allow to continue to grow and exist in our life, it, it can bring the whole house down. There's certainly going to be a battle. There's certainly going to be a war. And, and, and it's not just about historically looking at you know, our history in the United States and stuff, but, but there's a war for our soul that is happening and that's going, going around. And Jesus wants to be on a firm, wants us to be in a firm foundation of following his word and not being divided in our hearts. This is why every week at Velocity we celebrate the victory that Jesus gives us in this life. That, that, that Satan is already bound. I mean, that, that's true. I mean, he's still trying to get to us. He's still going after it. But, but to, to live our lives as if that is still the case. Because it is. That is the, the truth of the matter is that Satan is tied up. He's not going to get away. Like he cannot accomplish what he wants to accomplish unless we give him the power to do so in our lives. And so we celebrate and recognize that every Sunday Jesus gives us the victory. But we also have a choice as to whether or not we, we allow him to make that victory real in our lives. This morning uh, in second service we have someone who's going to be baptized because they're ready to go all in and not have a divided heart, <laughs> you know, to, to be all in with Jesus and let him be the foundation of his life. By the way, the water's warm, so if you're, you know, if you're ready this morning, i got plenty of towels. Um, so if that's a step that you're ready to take in your life um, this morning, we can do that. That we have the opportunity to be strengthened in our unity with God through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and that comes through the salvation that Jesus offers we might not be free from the devil's schemes in our life, but we can be free from the strong man's power through Christ. So at the end of all this, Jesus is looking around. His family finally shows up, and they say, hey, your family's outside to come get you, crazy guy. You know, they got the ropes here to, to tie you up. And Jesus says in verse 33, who are my mother and my brothers? That's kind of an odd question. Verse 34, he says this. He looks around at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. And he wasn't saying that, you know, he didn't care about his mom and his brothers anymore or anything like that. But, you know, one of the things that's beautiful about what we do is we come together as a church body and as we celebrate communion together, as we worship God together, and we, we, become, uh, we become a family that is helping us be undivided in our attention in worshiping God. Not, not just here in an hour on Sunday morning, but in every area of our life as we live out our faith through Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you for uh, the opportunity that we have to gather together for encouragement in following you and in following your word, living that out in our life so we can uh, avoid the conflict that Satan wants us to be wrapped up in. God, we thank you for giving us the foundation that we need to live out the life that you've called us to do through your son. In Jesus' name, amen.